Previously on Shadows in the West, while recovering from their victorious battle with the Red Foxes, Makoto Torakai presented the samurai with invitations to a wedding. They traveled to the lion stronghold of Shiromatsu, where Ikeda Akimitsu and Fukuro Hisayo were to be wed. But after a round of celebratory ghost stories, it became clear that there is something amiss on the Ikeda estate. As the day of the Ikeda wedding grew closer, the samurai were haunted by nightmares. Their investigations bore little fruit until Akimitsu's betrothed, Hisayo, went missing in the night. The samurai set out to find her and discovered that she had been possessed by the spirit of Akimitsu's first betrothed, Chizu, a kitsune. Chizu, now a kitsune suki, is exorcised with the help of prayer beads given to Crow and Shio by Kitsune Mara. She makes a last request of them before she disappears. Return her braid to Kitsune Mori. Before leaving, they witness Kitsune Mara reveal herself as a seven-tailed fox, then disappear into the trees. With Hisayo rescued, the wedding proceeded without incident, blessed by a sun shower as Ikeda Akimitsu looks toward a future as the new Ikeda Daimyo. The morning after the wedding, the sky above Shiromatsu is a clear, flawless blue. Only on the far-off crags of the spine of the world do clouds gather. The mood of the Ikeda household is high and boisterous, and cherry blossoms blow in soft pink gusts along the garden paths and streets. The samurai gather their things in preparation for the journey, with some muttered debate over where exactly they're going. Shizu's braid must be dealt with but none of them know what plans Hakoto Torokai has in store. In the aftermath of the exorcism, Shio and Crow are quiet, withdrawn. Neither seem unhappy to be leaving the Matsu lands. Atsu casts a concerned look at the box in Crow's possession, questioning the urgency of them returning a lock of hair. He seems to eventually make peace with it. It's best not to question superstition. Ryojiro reviews his belongings in a quiet but upbeat mood, content to leave the conversation to others this morning. Dayu dons her sukegasa in a meditative gesture, stilling her face in readiness. Torokai pauses in brushing his already well-groomed pony as the samurai approach. He bows in greeting, dressed in simpler clothes for travel. Their mounts stand loosely arrayed beside him, already saddled and packed for travel. You look well rested. I'm relieved. I have not heard from Masako-san in some time. I take that as a positive thing in times like these. Crow brightens a little when she sees the ponies. She gravitates to hers immediately to stroke its nose, much more interested in petting it than talking. <clears throat> Might I ask if you have a destination in mind, Akoto-sama? <laughs> the last letter I received spoke of investigations across the Empire. Those have been taken by another. I assume for now that we are free to travel for several days before word. I am expected in Craneland soon for court, but that is still some weeks. Atsu makes a face that spells out his every thought on those subjects. Crow doesn't know what to make of that, or the situation. She eventually halfway turns away from her pony. We've been asked to return something to Kitsune Mori, if time allows. Torokai pauses in scratching his pony's nose and looks at Crow. <laughs> Kitsune Mori, may I ask at whose request? 
Atsu's face wrinkles with concern. Crow's mouth thins, and a long moment passes as she considers how to phrase it. Eventually, she gives an apologetic bow. Uh, mm, no. Shio bows to Torokai, pupils pinning anxiously as she awaits his reaction. Atsu, covered in a thin sheen of sweat, presses his lips together. A vein stands out on his forehead. He looks like he might explode. It's a matter of some privacy. Torokai nods slowly and returns their bows with surprising respect. I should not pry on such a request. I only hope that the Fox Clan looks kindly upon our visit. He tightens his saddle one last time, then swings himself atop his mount, testing the reins. He reaches into his kimono and produces a mount, flattening it against the pony's neck. Atsu shakily pats his pony and wanders away, taking in a great breath before stretching his fist to the sky with a shout. Shio jumps nearly a foot in the air, head swiveling. She shoots him an accusing stare and straightens her howry as if to soothe it into submission. Crow breathes a quiet sigh of relief as she mounts up. Ryojiro stares at Torokai's back with a grimace. A detour to Kitsune Mori shouldn't be too much after all the work they put in for this magistrate. We have a choice. Ride east through Crane Lands or south through Scorpion Lands. <clears throat> I thought you said we had a choice. Ha! We have the same heart, Hida-san. Mm-hmm. East it is, then. But the journey is much longer, with a lot more crane. On second thought. Crow pinches the bridge of her nose. If you are expected in court soon, Okoto-sama, perhaps it would be best for our trip to the forest to wait. If we travel along the road, we will make good time. Court lasts for quite some time, and there is much to discuss. Atsu's nostrils flare. I suppose Scorpion Lands will have to be it, then. Atsu begins tying more knots into his knapsack. Shio sighs heavily, thinking of the Bayushi at the wedding. Crow sighs heavily, thinking of the Bayushi she slept with once. Torokai folds the map, nostrils flared, and tries to hide his hesitance. He smiles, nudges his pony forward, and begins down the road toward Baden Pass. The others follow soon after, falling in behind and beside Torokai respectfully. They offer bows and nods to the city guards as they make their way out of Shiromatsu. Have you heard any word on Asakusan? Is she well? Atsu's eyes grow a little more bloodshot with each mile that brings them closer to Scorpion territory. I've heard that she is preparing for her first venture into a larger court. Any news of her personally is more difficult to say. I'm sure she is well. Hmm. Things in Phoenix Lands have been strange of late. It may explain her silence. Strange in what way? What do you know of the Asawamori, Krosan? Next to nothing, I'm afraid. I'm afraid too. Atsu doesn't seem to realize that he doesn't understand the context. Ryojiro leans forward in his saddle to listen more closely, his curiosity plain. It is said to be a haunted place. Many of the roads are hidden by the kami of the forest, 
and Isawa reaching their Genpuku spent a night alone meditating. Those young samurai had been disappearing. Those of the Asako family believe that there is a path to the spirit realm somewhere in the forest. Asako-san has been sending samurai in search of it to see if that is where the young samurai have gone. How long has this been going on? Atsu grunts, still sulking, but his brow knits at the information. For some time, I believe. Asako-san confided it in me, but the scholars do not wish to reveal such a thing publicly. Rose stalls for a few moments at the path, then pats her pony on the neck to rejoin the rest. I have to admit, I'm surprised she hasn't sent us. Unless that's what you're getting at. I believe she fears getting others involved without the permission of the Asako and Asawa. It is what she confided in me concerning court. I believe she means to bring their theories to bear, but... <laughs> crane do not always listen. I haven't dealt too much with the Crane, but that's... certainly my understanding of them. The road widens and grows steep as they mount Baden Pass. It seems even wider in daylight, truly large enough to accommodate an army. The samurai quiet as they pass the path to Chizu's hidden grove, self-conscious that Torokai doesn't know of their encounter, and possibly would not approve. High mountain peaks loom at either side as they make their way alongside the wide expanse of road. Large caravans with several pairs of guards slowly move past them, their carts burdened with countless crates and barrels. The day is warm, and the sky above is cloudless. Torokai bows to a caravan passing them back towards Shiromatsu, and straightens enough that his chest is puffed out. The commoners bow deeply in return as they lead their cart and horse. Dust kicks up in their wake. My understanding of craneways thins with the passing of the seasons. I only hope that our two clans may see reason before... Well... Before these small conflicts and disagreements may become more. The crane are merely winged scorpions with hairbrushes. Winter is many months off. I'm sure your clans can find even footing before then. Ha! <laughs> were that it were so easy, Croissant. Yes, I suppose my experience doesn't lie in politics. Torokai reaches over and claps a hand on her shoulder, reaching propriety for a moment. He gives her a short, reassuring shake. Nor does mine, Croissant. Some are warriors, some politicians. Rose startles a little at the contact, but isn't bothered. She laughs, less dryly this time, but avoids eye contact and doesn't pursue the conversation any further. Torokai looks away awkwardly to check on the others. Ryojiro, Shio, and Dayu follow in various states of saddled doze. Ryojiro is awake enough to give Torokai a polite smile and nod. It takes several hours to travel the pass, and as they ride, the sky slowly begins to darken. The distant clouds of the morning are no longer so far off. By the time they crest the final rise and look down upon Scorpion lands, the afternoon has grown dark and the air feels heavy with impending rain. <sighs> the unpredictability of spring. Ro looks up to the clouds and sighs. 
Small villages dot the horizon, their faint lights beckoning the samurai onward. The remaining sunlight casts breathtaking shadows from the mountains in the western horizon across the plain. Shio shakes herself more awake, straightening in her saddle. She looks up and squints. You think we can make Beiden in time? Atsu is a man resigned to his fate. The growing storm only seems to deepen his despair. Fro glances at Shio, then to the clouds, considering. A slow, wide smile creeps across Torokai's face. Ah, I believe we have some time before the rain sees fit to appear. Are you certain that camping would not be preferable? Shio gives Atsu a deeply pained look. Atsu wrinkles his face, falling silent. They continue on at a faster pace. They reach a Tori arch over a small side road, leading towards the city in the distance. They pause and eye it with trepidation. Dayu shifts in her saddle to tie her Sukigasa on a little more tightly. Lightning flashes, so close that it blinds them, and thunder booms like a temple gong through their bodies. Though the ponies are well trained, they fidget with anxiety. Uh, if we settle in Baden for the night and leave early, I'm sure it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Crow forces a smile at Shio's uplifting words. Shio beams back. They urge their ponies into a reluctant canter, trying to outpace the storm. The wind is picking up, and the sparse trees edging the road begin to sway and creak ominously. Tarokai does not seem thrilled by the prospect of staying in Baden but spurs his pony into a gallop down the final slope of the road. The samurai look after him in surprise. Crow follows swiftly, her face split open by a wide grin. The others follow with a little more caution. A final few lances of sunlight crest through the mountains before they are devoured by cloud cover. With a great roar, the clouds are torn open, torrential downpour soaking everyone within seconds. Atsu lets out a cry of anguish that can only be described as a howl from a person which fate has robbed of everything. Shio screeches wildly. I hope this place has an indoor bath. Ahead is Baden, a merchant city and center of trade and travel both. It's definitely large enough for an indoor bath. Baden is surrounded by sparse bits of forest edging the wide, open plains thick with rice paddies and other crops. Seven Stings Keep perches in the mountains to the east, overlooking the city from a safe distance. The peasants in the fields are running for shelter from the rain and thunder. Horokai leads on producing their travel papers to a pair of tired-looking Ashigaro by a small bridge over a creek. After a lot of checking and some glancing at various mons, they wade them into the city. The main street of the city is crowded with buildings, tea houses, shops, covered food and merchant carts, and small stalls. Several older, larger buildings have been converted to cheap boarding houses. 
Others have been replaced with what are now larger, better buildings built atop old foundations. Painted signs for the Emerald Lily, the Lucky Cuckoo, and other inns swing in the strong gusts of wind. But only the samurai walk in the streets. Despite this emptiness, the eerie, skin-crawling sensation of being watched hangs over them. The windows of the buildings are shuttered, and what few lights to be seen are dim and distant. The rain continues in a blinding torrent, so thick that they can barely see the rider in front of them. Time seems to stretch as they walk, minutes expanding into hours, as if they aren't moving, no matter how fast they urge themselves on. Houses promising shelter grow no closer. The rain drums on. Am I alone in seeing this? Atsu throws his arms skyward. This is why I hate coming into these lands! Dayu, who has not been paying much attention, tips her hat up slightly and slows to a stop. Her eyes slide from one side of the road to the other, considering. Then, the moment passes, just as quickly as it came. The pressure of unseen eyes eases. The rain slows to an even, steady fall, and movement hiccups into motion once more down the street. Children play in the puddles. A peasant tows a soaked cart. They stand in front of the emerald lily, where a young stable girl watches them warily, waiting for the queue to take their wet, unhappy ponies. The strangeness of what just occurred halts the samurai for a long moment. The rain feels irrelevant now in the face of what has to be the work of magic or spirits. What? Shio's eyes narrow. When no answer comes, she dismounts with a squelch and offers her reins to the girl to placate her. Atsu does the same, looking very upset. Ro looks to the rest of them slowly, then at the box containing Chizu's braid with deep concern. Dayu sighs and tries to remember if she's ever heard or read anything about this in the past. Horokai clears his throat expectantly. His hair and clothing are soaked. He puts his hand over his head in an attempt at shielding his eyes. Food! If we can find it. Torokai points to the doors of the Emerald Lily. While the road is pitted and weeds grow between ruts of a wagon beside the inn, the building seems to be in good repair. In the distance, the patties are full of strangely stunted rice. Atsu hefts his tetsubo threateningly at nothing that anyone can see. The stable hand's eyes nearly bug out of her head, and she hurries their mounts away even faster. I'll smash every illusion if it means my meal. Atsu trudges grimly toward the entrance. Food, then. I think it would be best to stick together after... that. As they start towards the door, a strange-looking man trots up the street past them, his gait is splashing through the muddy water. He is dressed in an odd black kimono, holding up a black parasol in his right hand while staring intently at a metal ring around his left wrist. He stops in front of Shio and stares in complete bewilderment, but it's as if he's not truly seeing her. She stares back at him in confusion until he proceeds disappearing around the corner of a building. Shio's head nearly rotates off her shoulders as she notes the lack of footprints in his wake. 
The mud is thick enough that every passersby has left tracks except him. Crow watches him go, too tired to be surprised by further oddities. Ryojiro looks to the pair of them, bewildered. Atsu shouts in defiance and outrage. He hefts his tetsubo, minus knapsack, and pointedly shoves the end of it into the mud where the man's footprints should have been. Dayu frowns, deeper than normal. Did we ever finish the exorcism? I remember finishing it. Atsu gives Dayu a, Why are you asking us? stare mixed with, Did you finish it? Better have finished it. Shio glances back at her, the whites of her eyes showing like a frightened horse. Trokai glances between them. A tinge of anxiety crosses his face, something he would never admit, before he turns and enters the Emerald Lily, intent on booking their rooms. Crow's frustration comes to a head. She huffs and heads off after the strange man. Shio squawks and follows quickly after him, tiptoeing over the puddles. Atsu flares his nostrils, looking in the direction that they are heading. He lets out a growl of frustration and stomps through the mud behind them, Dayu accompanying. They soon find that the man has truly disappeared. When they step into the cramped alleyway after him, it's as though he has evaporated. Crow throws her hands in the air in exasperation. Is it too late to go the way of the crane? Shia wipes the water from her eyes, staring into the gloom. I hope not. Hmm. Atsu grunts, leaning on his tetsubo. He storms towards the lily, followed soon by the rest. The inn of the Emerald Lily is a large two-story building. When they enter, it is crowded with villagers taking shelter from the torrential downpour. They quickly shove each other out of the way to clear a table for the samurai. A middle-aged woman, the innkeeper, bustles forward with a bright smile. She is short and plump, with a round, kind face. Welcome, Samurai-sama. I am called Miyu. Soup? Hot tea? The rain is quite rough today. Atsu looks at the woman severely. Yes. Two. What two means is left open to interpretation. A bed and a bath would be best, if there is room. Crow shoulders through the too short doorway once she's wrung out her mass of hair. She orders hot sake and a giant bowl of udon as she joins the others. Shio seconds the order after she shakes herself off on the threshold, tiptoeing to spare the floor her sodden top. Miu smiles and bows, scolding two teenage boys, one lanky and one stocky, who must be her sons as she goes. Soup and sake for the samurai, Tsubo, Kibo. The boys disappear into the kitchen area past a curtain. Crow calms at the prospect of food and drink. Dayu eyeballs the peasants with deep suspicion, searching for signs of the man in black. Shio seats herself with a sigh and a slight squelch, eyebrows contorting then smoothing again. Ryojiro politely accepts tea and soup and begins eating. Atsu makes small talk with a nearby worker, but they are tight-lipped giving one-word answers or none at all. They are fearful and subservient, even for peasants. He frowns and beckons the innkeeper. Is there something wrong? Nothing is wrong, Samurai-sama. The storm is only intense this afternoon. 
Atsu glances over at the nearest group of peasants, frowning. He looks back at Miyu. They do not speak because of the storm? I... We do not wish to speak ill, Samurai-sama. Strange things have been happening for weeks. Miyu pours more tea for those who need it, avoiding Atsu's eyes. Shio closes her eyes very slowly. Fro glances tiredly to the others. Yes, it seems there's quite an epidemic of strangeness these days. Oh, strange things. What strange things? Miyu swallows, face tightening with anxiety. Several villagers have seen their family, those who have passed on, or frightening creatures. Some worry that our village is cursed. Our grain does not grow, nor does our rice. What kind of creatures do they see? And when did this start? Miu freezes in pouring tea, exchanging several hesitant looks with the villagers. She forces a smile. Nearly two months, Samurai-sama. They have witnessed visions. They see someone in the street, a friend or relative who has passed. They watch them disappear or see strange animals, monsters, shapes in the night, in the rain and the fog. Have you sent for any help? Rose starts to rub her face, then forces herself to run her hand over her hair instead. Miu starts a little at Dayu's voice, then immediately bows to her. I am afraid our fears would be dismissed as superstition, Samurai-sama. We have reported these incidents to the Karo. I am sorry. Such things are not polite while eating. Miu waves her sons over, assists them with handing out complimentary bowls of rice, and busies herself with cleaning nearby tables. Hmm. We asked, after all. Crow rapid fires some sake shots once Miu has turned away. Dayu takes a quick shot once no one shows signs of being poisoned. Don't apologize. We also witnessed something, just as we arrived. Is there anyone who's seen these visions we could speak with? Miu looks up, hope blossoming in her eyes. She steps close again, as if to latch onto even a vague offer of help. I... The village Doshin, Samurai-sama. Mate and Kichi. Atsu picks placidly at his rice, looking as though anything out of the ordinary would shatter his calm veneer and send him into an inconsolable rage. Oh. They have witnessed these incidents more than most, I believe. Oh. Torokai sighs from his corner, leaning over his rice and soup. Shio seems pained, but unable to let it go. She nods to Miyu gratefully. Ryojiro looks urgently around for more rice, as now he'll inevitably need the energy for an exorcism or midnight stroll to the gates of beyond. Where could we find them, if we were to ask? You may find the Karo by Yushikushiro at the castle, or the headman Baiku, just north of here. The Doshin, Armate, and Kichi, their homes are at the edge of town. I'm going to go have a bath before we meet with the Karo. If you all decide to investigate later, I'll join you. She bows and excuses herself from the table. Atsu grunts at Crow amiably, forcing his food into his mouth at a deliberate, unenthusiastic pace. The second story of the Emerald Lily is dusty, packed full of villagers and travelers escaping the rain. 
The way to the baths is not far, and Subo briefly escorts Crow before he rushes back down the stairs. The others eventually drift away from the common room as well, either to doze or bathe while they wait for the rain to slow. It is nightfall by the time the steady drumming of rain fades. The noise of the common room below quiets as villagers begin to disperse back to their homes. The air is cool and damp, mist rising from the road as the sun sets. For a supposedly busy merchant town, Baden's nightlife is strangely non-existent. The Ochaya and Sake houses remain shuttered. Few lanterns are lit. Several pairs hanging from poles at either side of the road near the town's Tory gate flicker in the distance. No one wanders the thoroughfare outside the Emerald Lily, and an almost palpable sense of dread hangs over the streets. Through the open windows at the rear of the inn, Atsu and Crow's rooms, the rice paddies stretch out into the distance. The mist is thicker over the embankments, blanketing the strangely wilted plants. As Crow watches, something moves in the dark, stirring the fog. Strange, black shapes, four-legged but unnaturally thin and elongated. Wrong. They are headless. They move too smoothly, each movement blurring into the next. The night turns suddenly silent, save for the thudding of the samurai's own heartbeats in their ears. The air seems to warp around the creatures the longer they are observed, turning them indistinct like ripples in a pool until they fade from view. Crow watches them from her window until they become too obscure to make out. Brow furrowed, she takes her show and steps out into the hallway, stopping before the other samurai's doors. She stands there for a moment, undecided, before turning abruptly and going down the stairs on her own. She steps into the silent street and immediately veers towards the rice paddies. Atsu slowly sits up on his futon, some sixth sense drawing him to the window. He squints for a moment into the dark, blinks at what he sees, and then shakes his head. With a great thudding of feet, he storms out to wake the others. The only other left awake is Dayu. She plucks absentmindedly at her shamisen while looking out onto the streets below, just in case she might catch a glimpse of whatever haunts the town. She is unaware of the creatures, and of Crow slipping into the night. Outside, the air is warm and thick with humidity. Dense fog grows heavier as Crow wades through the rice paddies, trying to get a closer look at the figures. They persist as she draws closer, but their shapes distort and waver with each step. Atsu bursts into Dayu's room, perhaps subconsciously aware that a fellow crab won't take offense, and wrenches her windows open, pointing out into the dark with his tetsubo. Look! Look! Dayu is unmoved, not even pausing in the gentle strumming of her shamisen as her eyes follow Atsu's pointing. She blinks a few times to make sure she's not seeing things. Hmm. Whatever faint tune she's playing becomes noticeably more like a dirge. The commotion draws Shio from her nest of blankets, her hair standing on end. 
She tiptoes her way into their room and squints out the window, then back at Atsu. What is it? Gaiyu sets her shamisen down and tries to get a closer look. Her eyes narrow as she focuses on Crow. She reaches for her nearby scroll satchel without looking away. Meanwhile, Ryojiro is happy in his warm room, without a single thought to the improbability that one or more of their group would wander out into the night to be devoured by the hungry dead. Outside, Crow takes a slow, steady approach towards the creatures, as if testing the rate at which they fade. Despite her unease, she keeps walking, face set. Her steps unsettle the fog and the muddy water of the paddies. The thick air muffles her movements. Several of the figures fade into the night like black mist until only one remains. A strange, distended, four-legged creature with spindly limbs and a hunched back. When Crow is within a few steps of it, its lumpy body contorts to turn and face her. A white porcelain mask is embedded into the dark flesh where her neck should be, featureless save for pitch-black eye holes. It gives a high, distorted scream, though it has no mouth that Crow can see. Crow stops abruptly and curses herself, but stands her ground. She stares it down, hand at the hilt of her sword. An edge of fear tightens her face. Atsu takes off downstairs at a sprint. He plunges into the street with his tetsubo held high and is immediately covered in mud again. He curses but doesn't slow. When the creature screams, he curls his lips back and returns its cry. Tetsubo hefted, he plods across the paddies, footsteps spraying water and muck. Shio trails behind him, yelling incoherently as she draws her katana. Dayu is not far behind, Warfan flared in one hand, scrolls clutched in the other. The four-legged creature is hard to track in the darkness, a shambling silhouette of limbs with a white, featureless face. It lumbers towards Crow with a wavering, swaying gait, its edges fluctuating like smoke. Crow's hand tightens on her katana as she takes a few measured steps back, still facing the creature. Atsu and Shio fall in step beside Crow, weapons at the ready. Crow glances quickly at them before she focuses back on the creature. What are you doing? Get away! What is it? Dayu glares at Crow, redirecting all of these questions back at her. She shoves her fan under her arm, grabs a nearby stick, and chants as she runs. It bursts into flame despite the moisture in the air, a single fiery beacon in the night. The creature howls at the light and lumbers faster, swaying, lurching side to side, its movements halting and unnatural. The smoke obscuring it diminishes in the torchlight. It is dark and fleshy, like a body stripped of skin and dipped in tar. Crow falls back beside Atsu and Shio. What is it? Not good. Stirred by the commotion outside, Ryojiro wakes in a cold sweat. He rushes to the door, hoping everyone didn't run off to do something stupid, like it sounds. When he hears Atsu's cries of battle, his suspicions melt away. 
He stops abruptly at the corner of the inn as he catches sight of the scene beyond, eyes wide. Dayu drops to one knee, shoving the makeshift torch into the mud and bouncing back to ready a scroll. The creature shambles towards the light, then halts abruptly, its body stiffening. It turns mechanically in their direction, as if listening, and lashes out at Crow with one of its long, spindly arms. Crow twists to the side. As its limb whistles past her, she raises her sword and strikes at its head in one smooth movement. Her blade cracks the porcelain mask. A splinter erupts at the bottom, rapidly spidering upwards. As the creature draws back with an ear-splitting howl, Shio quickly sweeps low, shearing off one of its legs in a single arc of her katana. The limb tumbles into the patty with a dull splash. The creature screeches loud and high, flailing its remaining legs and swaying from side to side. A halo of iridescent green light flares around Dayu's hand, blindingly bright. She lunges forward and drives her hand into the mask like a blade. The porcelain shatters. The creature's voice rises into a howl, and then nothing. Its body slumps into the mud and stills remnants of the mask sliding off in countless pieces. Crow lowers her sword, flicking off the sticky black residue and sheathing it. Ryojiro unfreezes at last and sprints towards them, his gaita slapping against the patties. Set it aflame. Dayu pulls her torch from the mud and trudges to the corpse. She carefully touches the flame to its body. It catches quickly, as if the thing is coated in oil, and the fire devours it. Soon, all that remains are shards of the creature's mask and bones wrapped in charred, leathery skin. Ryojiro stumbles to a stop as the flames flicker out. Torokai jogs up behind him, a lantern held high. The flash of disappointment across Ryojiro's face is quickly replaced by clinical curiosity. Even with the bulk of the investigative evidence destroyed, there could still be something left on the body. He steps a little closer to peer at. Torokai blanches as he catches sight of the mask. Crow stares at the heap of the creature's body. Shio warily wipes her sword and sheaths it. She steps back, loath to see more of the creature than she already has. I'm sorry, I... Uh... When I saw something, I thought I would investigate it. I didn't intend for it to see me. Torokai looks at Crow and gives a shake of his head. It is fortunate it didn't draw closer to the city. He steps forward, his expression grim. Or the temple. He stands behind Ryojiro as he looks upon the corpse, who kneels before it but is careful not to touch. What was that? I don't know what it was or why it was here, but... It seems to be dead. Ryojiro does not look up from examining the remains. It's here because someone sent it here. He draws his wakazashi and carefully makes sure that what passes for its head has been removed. Shio shudders. This was merely a messenger. Crow gives Ryojiro a sharp look. She turns back to the body, trying to get a better look. With its skin and muscle burnt away, the creature's bones are revealed to be just as misshapen. But to Crow, 
still intimately familiar. Her horrified disgust turns to despair. This creature was once a horse. Emotion bubbles up around the edges of her expression, nearly overcoming her, before she swallows dryly and walks away without a word. Torokai watches Crow leave, then glances back to the corpse. He runs the back of his hand across his mouth. Atsu looks at the corpse, unimpressed, before glancing back at the end, as if to consider whether the cooks are preparing breakfast yet. A messenger? Torokai exhales heavily and leans to look closer. Yes, it may well be. He prods the remnants of the mask with his wakizashi, careful not to get too close. Whatever power it held has fled with its shattering. A messenger of fear. These don't roam alone. Kitsuki-san is right. Someone sent it. As for who, I wouldn't know that there's more to this than one monster. Ryojiro carefully wipes his wakizashi in the grass and sheathes it. These masks are usually rare and powerful, their creation thankfully forgotten. It has a master who cannot be very far away. I am most perplexed as to why it was used on a horse. This seems much more serious than apparitions of lost family. Torokai picks up the largest remaining piece of the mask with his sleeve over his hand, tense about having to touch it despite its lifelessness. He quickly tucks it into a bag, keen to hide it from view. What now, Akoto-sama? We inform the village daimyo in the morning. I will seek out those the innkeeper named as soon as I can. Ayu takes a last look at the creature before returning to the inn, eyebrows drawn in thought. Torokai loosens the grip on the hilt of his katana, his jaw tight. He turns on his heel, walking away from the smoldering corpse. Atsu hefts his tetsubo and follows, intent on taking another bath. Ryojiro trails after, reluctant to stand alone in the night. Shio frowns at the smoking pile of meat. A shudder runs through her, as if she wishes to rouse feathers that aren't there. She turns and follows after them quickly, careful to stay in the light of Torokai's lantern. Inside the Emerald Lily, Crow orders a bottle of sake with as few words as possible. She finds her way to the farthest corner of the empty common area and begins to drink, her back to the door. The voice of Makoto Torokai was provided by Waldo Shab. For all the latest updates in our podcast, be sure to check us out on Twitter at SITWL5R. You can also join our Discord server to talk L5R, Tabletop, and everything in between. Shadows in the West is played using the fourth edition of the Legend of the Five Rings role-playing game, developed by Alderac Entertainment Group and owned by Fantasy Flight Games.